Hey, 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 welcome back Beyond the Walls with Team World Vision. This is LDR and we are about to jump into a packed episode, my friends. But before we do, I hope that you had a wonderful time of rest and reflection for Juneteenth last weekend. As many of us know, Juneteenth is a day that is celebrated on the 19th of June to commemorate the emancipation of enslaved people in the U.S. It was first celebrated in Texas where on that date, in June of 1865, in the aftermath of the Civil War, that was the day that the last enslaved people in America received the news that they indeed were free, resulting in massive celebrations. Did you know that Juneteenth is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States? And there have been many ways over the years that Juneteenth has been celebrated, and we stand in that celebration. So friends, as we know that there is much more to be done to address and dismantle racism in our country, I love that we are a team, that we are a people who celebrate freedom in the fullest sense of the word. Freedom from historical, literal, physical bondage, freedom in the work that we support eliminating cycles of poverty, and then of course, foundationally, the freedom that we have and share in Christ. May we continue to be a people that work for freedom, freedom that the kingdom promises by honoring holidays and events and lifestyles such as these. So friends, whew, as we settle into these summer months and the temperatures continue to rise and the elements of those summertime conditions continue to kick in, we hope that you are drinking enough water, my friends, that we are relishing in the fact that we have water to drink and that we are drinking it and that we are listening to our bodies. And as the miles increase with these temperatures, friends, we wanted to share a little time with one of our local leads, Ruth, who is going to share with us some incredible wisdom and great information about the best ways to approach nutrition during your training season. Friends, Ruth is a registered dietitian. She is the real deal. So listen in as you move right now. Hey team. Hi podcast listeners. This is Ruth Mack. I'm a registered dietitian and on staff here at Team World Vision. I'm so excited to be able to talk with you all today about sports nutrition and fueling our bodies for performance. So wherever you are or wherever you're listening, whether it's in your car or taking on a long run or even in the background at work, I hope your season is going well. One of my favorite things about Team World Vision is that we get to experience the most holistic approach to ministry that I've ever seen. We get the opportunity to move our feet to bring life-changing water to our neighbors across the world while also growing together to deepen our understanding of stewardship and caring for our bodies as temples of Christ. It's truly so incredible. So thanks for tuning in today and let's jump right in. Today, we're going to be talking about fueling our bodies for performance and how we can set ourselves up well for nutritional success. As we get into this conversation, I want to start by defining the term sports nutrition, and I'm going to do this more so based on what it is not. Um, so you may have heard the term sports nutrition or performance nutrition, whether it's been in your training with captains, with leaders, friends, influencers, whatever it may be. But when it comes down to it, sports nutrition is not anything that can only be considered short-term. So we all know someone who has decided the week of the race that they're going to start caring about their nutrition. They're going to get their hydration in. They're going to carb load, whatever it may be. However, sports nutrition isn't something that is only done the week of the race. And that is because proper fueling should be implemented regularly so that it can help for race day. We want to be focusing on our nutrition throughout the entire training season and in off season. Sports nutrition is also not weight loss focused or aesthetic focused. We're not diet culture disguised as sports nutrition. And I just really want to highlight that because I know that we can see a lot of times on social media platforms, we'll see influencers who are sharing their nutrition based upon their weight loss journey, or maybe it is a, um, supplement or something they're trying to sell um, that promotes weight loss, 
But when it comes down to it, true sports nutrition is focused on performance and not how the body looks. Every athlete is different and every athlete's body is also different. So sports nutrition is not based upon looks or weight loss. And finally, sports nutrition is not unsustainable. As we discuss fueling for performance, we're not talking about a diet to go on and off of. We're talking about a much larger sustainable approach to nutrition, something that is going to last for your training season and beyond. So, okay, Ruth, but what does it actually mean to fuel for performance? Well, when you're fueling for performance, you're making sure that your nutrition choices, so the foods that you eat, set you up well for a desired outcome. When it comes down to it, you have to ask yourself, what am I trying to perform at? From here, we can determine what our nutritional needs are. For some of you, this can be hitting a PR for the half marathon or completing an intense CrossFit workout, or maybe it's just crossing the finish line altogether. But for a second here, I'm also going to challenge you to expand your thinking to other areas of performance in your life, because the truth is that we all perform at different areas of our life outside of training. So what does performance look like in your life outside of training? Maybe it's waking up every morning with energy to perform the best at your job. Having clarity and focus throughout the workday requires a lot of mental and physical energy. As you need to lead your team well, collaborate with coworkers, focus on the tasks at hand, nutrition can actually help your performance at your job. And now let's take another second to expand our thinking even farther to our performance when we come home from work after, or come home after work. And maybe you are keeping up with your family and all the moving parts of your life that home life brings. My question is, are you showing up as the best spouse you can be, as the best sibling, friend, parent, mentor that you can be? Are you showing up as the best representation of the body of Christ? As we start to think about all the different areas where you are performing, whether it's running, at work, at church, or at home, let's also start to think about our nutrition for both short-term and long-term performances in these places. So during your season, the short-term question to ask yourself, or that most of us should be asking, is how can I get enough energy to perform well in this run, workout, or race? You can use nutrition strategically for your short-term performances to plan out meals the week of a long run or stay hydrated the day before a race. You can also use performance nutrition to recover appropriately after a run or a workout with certain electrolytes, food, and fuel so that you are recovering optimally and getting back on your training plan as expected the next week. So think about those Sundays that we have cross-training days. Those Sundays, you just had a long run on Saturday. Sundays, you really want to be focusing on our nutrition intake so that we are recovering quickly and able to get back on plan on Monday with our training plan. So there's a lot of manipulations we can do with food ingredients, hydration, and electrolytes to ensure that your short-term performance in any physical activity is tailored to your needs and setting you up for success, both in the moment and for the long haul. And for most athletes, which let me just pause and say that you all are athletes, whether you consider yourself one or not, if you are listening to this podcast, you are an athlete. Last year in episode 41 of the podcast, physical therapist Haley Eckert said that if you have a body, you're an athlete. And I could not agree anymore. If you have a body, I am talking to you. If you are listening to the podcast right now, you are an athlete. So, so back to what we were talking about. So for most athletes, success means optimized energy, minimal GI disturbances, and quick recovery. Those three things pretty much sum up what success is to athletes. Um, it boils down to making sure that we have energy to sustain throughout the day, making sure that we're not having GI issues and that we're recovering quickly so we can get back on track with our training. In a non-training scenario, so if you're in your off-season, That might be waking up every morning and making sure your hydration is on point so that you can have clarity throughout the workday. Or your short-term performance can be making sure you don't skip lunch so when you come home from a long workday to your family, you still have energy to show up for your family. This fueling might not focus as much on specific nutrients as it might be a specific fueling plan. Now, what about long-term performances, Ruth? Well, yes, it's important to perform your best on race day, 
But as I was saying before, the only way you're going to do so is that if you're, you fuel your body throughout the entire training season. I've seen multiple athletes neglect proper fueling until the week of their race and wonder why they get injured halfway through the race. Well, disclaimer, proper fueling will not prevent an injury, but it will definitely help reduce your risk of injury, and it's so important to make sure that we get there well before the week of the race. So when we look at long-term performance, we're wanting to pay attention for the cumulative effect of how your nutrition gets you through the entire season. For most of us who aren't necessarily competitive athletes, long-term performance comes down to sustainability. Will what I'm eating be able to sustain my performance at this level for the entire season and thereafter the season ends? This is why we see fad diets like low-carb, Adkins, or keto fail. They're not sustainable for long-term performance, but that's a whole other conversation that I could ramble on about for hours, so I'll spare you from that. But anyway, so what are short-term and long-term ways nutrition can impact your performance? For starters, throughout training, you should still be eating what someone who isn't training would eat. We're not cutting out foods while we train. The foundation of sports nutrition is that you need more energy to sustain your training demands, meaning you need more food. We're adding things that will increase our energy intake, specifically more complex carbohydrates, so our whole grains, our fruits, our vegetables. Adding more carbohydrates to the diet is so vital especially as endurance and running athletes, since carbohydrates are the body's main energy source. What our muscles primarily use in any physical activity are carbohydrates. Appropriate and adequate amounts of carbohydrates are needed to sustain your performance. So while every individual needs will vary, I will say that as a baseline, just baseline, no daily function added, your brain alone needs 130 grams of carbohydrates. That's just for your brain to function without having any other stimuli added to it. That's not including your daily movements, your job requirements, or training. So as you can imagine, in the long-term approach, your body needs a lot of carbohydrates. Now, in the short term, we can tailor our nutrition week to week. So as your training increases, your carb needs will increase. On easier training days, your bodies will just need some carbohydrates. Then on moderate training days, your body will need more carbohydrates. And then on very hard training days and race days, your body will need a lot of carbohydrates. But this doesn't doesn't just mean adding heaping amounts of pasta to your meal plan on hard training days. As you increase carbs on some training days, you might decrease other things. Think about on race day or long run days, vegetables will not be the goal. You don't really need vegetables these days. Vegetables are something that yes, you do need in long term and you will hear me say and so many other people say that you do need vegetables, but they won't fuel your performance the day of a race or a long run. However, on those easy training days, We're looking at the long-term, more holistic side. So that's when you want to include more vegetables in your meals and snacks. Now, in order to keep you on track, you'll want to develop a fueling plan to help figure out when you have time to eat based on your schedule and training schedule, making sure that you have time to eat before your workout, after your workout, and every few hours throughout the day. Dialing in on your fueling schedule is foundational for sports nutrition. I've seen so many clients go wrong by not even having a basic schedule of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I know some of you are listening and you might be thinking, oh man, she's calling me out. And yes, it is so important to have that schedule of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, But even if you're fueling for work, family, life performance, you still need structure for consistency. Everyone's fueling schedule will look different and it doesn't just have to be breakfast, lunch, and dinner. For some, it might even look like breakfast, snack, lunch, snack two, snack three, dinner, dinner number two, etc. But one thing that I found specifically to help with this schedule is setting an alarm reminder to eat. I found that it's a great way to keep up with my fueling schedule. And when I'm in the midst of a busy work day, I see my alarm and I say, oh yeah, I need to go eat. 
So maybe even trying to set an alarm to remind yourself to eat throughout the day is a great way to get started with your performance nutrition. Now, Ruth, what about vitamins and minerals? Well, consuming key nutrients is important as we all need vitamins and minerals to survive. During training, some nutrients might come into a higher demand as we push our bodies in new ways, but it's not as many nutrients as you may think. Some athletes think they should be or need to be on 10 different supplements that some social media influencer told them to take, but I'm here to say that that's not true. I still recommend a whole foods approach to sports nutrition and believe that supplements usually don't need to be taken for the average athlete. However, again, this will vary based on individual athletes and injuries. I will say that for runners, especially female runners, will want to take a closer look at their iron, but the average athlete should focus on whole foods and pay close attention to his or her training needs where he or she is in the season, and if there's an injury or um, deficiency that needs to be addressed. So just to recap our conversation and what we have just discussed, we discussed that proper fueling is very important to performing well in both our training and our everyday lives, both short-term and long-term. As athletes, our bodies need more energy to sustain training demands. So whether you're in season or not in season, I want to challenge you to think about what a healthy, I use air quotes there because, um, especially around healthy, because I don't like that term. I don't like to label foods, but for lack of a better term, um, what a quote unquote healthy diet to achieve your desired performance and what do you need to fuel yourself with to perform in the short term and long term. So Thank you so much for joining in on this Fueling for Performance conversation today. I hope you found this conversation helpful and thought-provoking, and I wish you luck as you fuel up for your best performance yet. was a ton of great information. We are so lucky to have leaders like Ruth on our team to share their wealth of knowledge and help us all maximize our potential and really stay healthy. So now we are going to share a great interview, my friends, with the Senior Director of WASH at World Vision, Jordan Smoke. If you were around for our National Leaders Gathering this year, this will sound familiar. If you weren't there, you are in for a treat. The truth is, The work that World Vision leads out on all over the world is wildly comprehensive and astonishing. Friends, it is super complicated, and we know that we are better fundraisers and teammates when we get into the nitty-gritty of what it is we're actually inviting others into. And I know that as long as I've been with World Vision, reminding myself of these details and the strategy of how people are receiving clean water and how clean water really works is something that I do often. So enjoy. Please take great notes as you're moving your feet. You might even want to listen to this episode again when you are done running because Jordan is an expert in the field. Friends, a global expert in the field of clean water, sanitation, and hygiene. Water and sanitation kept coming up as as one of the biggest needs across the world. Uh, the the global need where uh, billions of people were in terms of access to clean water, even more billions of people were in terms of access to sanitation. Uh, for me, that that was kind of it. Then it was like you know this is one of the biggest needs that I can recognize out there. If I can't if I can't you know, find a way to, to put my skills to use, you know, in this, then, then that's, that's pretty bad. So, um, so that's what drove me into water sanitation hygiene and and world vision has been my home past 10 and a half years. And I think, you know, I feel like I've, I've approached it relatively, you know, healthy. I often looked at, you know, after so many years have gone by, I've said, Hey, what, you know, should I be moving on? Should I be doing something else with somebody else for whatever reason? And I'm glad I did, you know, there are definitely times where you, 
kind of feel like, wow, I've been, you know, I've never thought I'd be here 10 and a half years, but certainly it was like, okay, I've been here three years, you know, seemed like a long time, been here five, seven years, just took the opportunity to, to just kind of reevaluate. But every time I did that and I looked at what else do I want to do or what else could I be doing out there for me, nothing hit home that I wanted to do more than what I was already doing. And World Vision, I just looked at it and I said, I don't think there's a better place for me with more opportunity to actually impact the global water crisis than continuing with World Vision. It's a hard sector, right? It's a sector that requires a lot of money for infrastructure. And there's a lot of NGOs uh, out there that won't that that choose not to put that investment um, uh, into the sector. Um, they'll put it into advocacy for clean water, but um, they just don't have the technical, aren't willing to build up the technical capacity, and, and aren't willing to put the mm. commitment financially behind it to do water sanitation and hygiene. And our leadership, our leaders who have said, you know, we're we're committed to this. And so that's been, that's been great. Um, the other thing too, is just from a leadership perspective, World Vision isn't perfect as an organization. Every organization has certain things. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, every, we are. Every, we're every, we're absolutely every, <laughs> every leader, you know, has flaws to it. But what I, what I really have appreciated is that World Vision leadership has been humble enough to identify and say, yes, we have flaws and we're going to work to improve those. And for me personally, I don't think there's a better ask that you could have of leadership than to say, um, than to say we're willing to get better. Um, and, yeah. and World Vision has been an organization like that. Yeah. Thanks for answering that. You know, I think it's important to, I, I wanted to start there because it's important to, to know who we're hearing from and why, right? And so as you can all tell, um, he, he not only loves his work, he loves doing it where he's doing it, you know, for the for the leading non-governmental provider of clean water in the world. Um, and so just absolutely huge. Um, I'm a bit of a dork for those of you who don't know me. And like last night, I went to the United Nations webpage and started kind of digging into the sustainable development goals and, and like learning about what that actually means. And so if you would just humor me for a moment, just humor me, like, Sustainable development goal number six says ensure availability and sustainable management of water and sanitation for all. That's a lot of people, right? Can what what is that? I mean, the for all, what are we talking here, Jordan? Like, we talking a billion, two people, like what's how do we wrap our brains around that when we think about wash and sustainable development and water for all? Yeah. So, you know, the yeah. So the sustainable development goals, there's 17 of them, right? I mean, the, the, they are they are ambitious goals to begin with, right? Because, I mean, ultimately, we're promoting equity for what is considered in many ways, um, you know, human rights. It, it, it is a, you know, we feel it is a human right for people to be able to have access to, to clean water. Um, and, you know, it, people should not necessarily have to go throughout their lives and, and not have that, that opportunity um, to them. And so, um, you know, the SDGs, uh, the one thing that they do is they, uh, they provide what are called service ladders. Um, and so you heard me, if you heard me on the main stage talking about going from bad to good, good to better, better to best. Um, in some ways, that kind of represents these different service levels that the, the SDGs kind of create a standardized uh, definition towards. Um, and so, um, you know, when we talk about people that need clean water, obviously going from bad to good is, is the first goal. Uh, it's the first measure of saying, you know, we need to get everybody at least to good. You know, nobody sh should be at bad. Um, and there's, that's where the number of 767 million people are still in like that bad category and we need to get them to good. When we think about better and best, there's still actually billions of people that don't have access to that better and best quality of water. That's, that's an improved clean water source, but it's now at the household level with uh, opportunity for disinfection and treatment, 
um, and all those, those types of things as well, as well as the ability to remove waste um, from someone's house as well. So you don't have uh, human feces disposal or even animal feces disposal that's potentially recontaminating water or contaminating the environment um, in which they're living in. So we're really talking, you know, where World Vision wants to go, obviously, absolutely need to get out of bad into good, but we want to go to better and best. And that's billions of people that are out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, based on that sustainable development goal number six, we've kind of come up at World Vision with four big goals that we want to accomplish around addressing that bigger goal, right? And so all of this kind of just drills down to these smaller, smaller, but still very ambitious goals, right? And so can you, can you tell us maybe, I'd love for you maybe just to hit, because we, we haven't really talked about this a lot, but Team World Vision yeah. is a partner among many partners yeah. um, working with you and your team to achieve these. And so partnership is a big part of how we do our work. Can you maybe talk a little bit about our partners and who some of them are and yeah. like our nature of the relationship with them? Because for some we're implementers, but with others are funders. So yeah. 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 So, I mean, World Vision, yes, being the, you know, what we consider the number one NGO, uh, you know, in, in providing clean water and being that uh, development organization, but certainly we, we can't do it alone by any means, even at the local level, like, you know, we're not out there dividing lines saying, well, World Vision's, you know, got this side of the road, you have to stick to that side of the road, like, everybody ultimately is usually working toward those same goals and we need to, to, to lean on each other's abilities and expertise. Um, but we also make it very purposeful to ensure we have the right partnerships in helping us achieve what we do. Um, a lot of times that is organizations that do similar things, but more often than not, we're looking for organizations uh, that have um, complementary types of skill sets. So we're partnering with corporations like Procter & Gamble or corporations like Brunfos, which is the world's largest um, submersible pump manufacturer in the world that provides one of the best, highest qualities of, of submersible pumps. Um, we're working with Sesame Workshop. One, you know, we all know them from Sesame Street, right? We all know the, 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 the show that they put on there. But what you don't know or what you might not know about Sesame is they're actually a global... Uh, a global NGO that's working to better educate children across the world. Um, you know, their model, I think, is like uh, safer, stronger, kinder, or something like that. And, and they're really in a lot of places as well. So we're working with them to better develop educational tools for, for our work for children for ages, you know, uh, around five years old, uh, anywhere really three to three to nine year olds, and even actually creating adolescent programs. So partnerships, I mean, and then those are implementing partners. We obviously have funding partners as well. So we're working with foundations, corporations, uh, maybe some of you have heard the organization Charity Water. Charity Water is a fundraising organization. Um, they don't implement, they, they raise money and then they, they grant it out to organizations like World Vision. And we're uh, one of the, you know, on any given year, we're one of the top three recipients of, of charity water funds. But we work with the Hilton Foundation. We work with um, uh, other types of family foundations uh, as well that are out there. Um, uh, and yeah, and so those funding organizations are, are key. Um, I'll talk as well, even just maybe yeah. talk about the difference, how World Vision or Team World Vision kind of creates a, a different opportunity for us yeah. um, and, and why it's valuable. And then we can maybe go into the value of that dollar a little bit more yeah. in a bit. But, um, you know, Team World Vision, so so there's, you know, you heard me on stage talk about restricted um, and, and kind of unrestricted types of funding. And so, yeah, just to say again, like a, there's a lot of organizations out there um, that, you know, from the government, USA government, but also obviously other country governments, Australia, UK, Canada, um, Germany, many others, right? But those are all very restricted funds. Um, they often, you know, are going also towards um, certain needs that, that those governments have identified that will 
help their po uh, public policies and so forth. But then you also have foundations, those are also very restricted funding. But Team World Vision and, and other major donors and middle donors uh, that are kind of part of the, the World Vision Partnership um, also give considerable amounts of funding that, you know, into our global water fund or into um, our most flexible ways of funding. And so that funding um, as well, it, it plays a huge role in, in probably, yeah, the, one of the most instrumental roles in allowing us to be as impactful as possible. Yeah, and what's kind of unique about us is that we're, uh, we're like partners within a partnership, right? And so like somebody mentioned, I think it was you, Matt, Matt Smith on online that like charity, well, I, he had no idea Charity Water was one of our like funding partners. And, but that's all they do. All they do is yeah. fundraising and then you have to kind of go out. And, and they're very good at it. Too. And they're very good. They're at very it. good at it. And, but we're also very good at it. Yeah. And we happen to be fundraisers yeah. and implementers, right? right? Yeah. So we own the entire ecosystem of bringing the, the dollars to the field for the water. And so that's really super cool. And the reality is once you start getting into the Facebook algorithm, you're going to start getting all kinds of things uh, hit up uh, from other NGOs that do water work around the world. But Rest assured, we are uh, we are the best. We're number one. So, we're number one, <laughs> A1AOK. -okay. Um, yeah, that's right. Give it up. Um, so that was partnerships. Um, you talked a little bit about this this green dollar turning and turning into gold. You know, just that analogy I think is is really powerful um, because it's flexible, yeah. right? And 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 it empowers local yeah. indigenous staff to. A, to grab those funds and appropriate them as they see fit for their situation. And so can you talk a little bit more about how your big five-year strategy was influenced by our local indigenous staff? Yeah. And also how how they make decisions around where they put those dollars that we fundraise for these things they told us they needed. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean the the business plan. So I talked about it on stage, how it's built from from area program office level or ground ground level up. Um, but one of the, the drivers of that is uh, the flexible funding. Now we call it base funding. So if you look at, and, and we call it base funding because it's foundational funding. Almost all of our WASH programs that are national office WASH programs all stem and grow from the ability to have these base funds. Um, and so that, that what Team World Vision provides uh, it goes is a significant part of that base funding. Right, I think it's like uh, it may be fifty percent of of our base funding in any given year is is fully funded through Team World Vision. So I mean that's that's huge, right? Because you're talking about base funding is the key driver, the foundational element that all of our wash programming is built on top of. So when we start with the business plan, we kind of outline here's our forecast of base funding, and those mm -hmm. national offices at a local level then take that information, they start building upon it. Okay, what are our needs? And then, you know, here's what we're having. And then, because we don't want to build a plan and not be able to finance it. So, in addition to identifying all the needs, we also identify, well, where could the potential funding and the resources come from to do that? Um, and the ability to have that flexible kind of investment at a foundational level allows those uh, additional funding streams to grow on top of that. Um, and so, you're talking about this foundational level funding, you're talking about 50% of that coming from Team World Vision. Like that's how important <laughs> this group is to really World Vision's global, you know, water implementation. It's yeah. critical. If this group didn't exist, we would not, we would not have the same impact. We would not be doing wash the same way. We'd be a much different organization um, in in how we do wash. So that I mean, I, it, yeah, I, I honestly I can't over say it enough. Just the the how Team World Vision dollar is not green, it's gold. Yeah. That's right, Kara. Go Team World Vision. <laughs> Woo! Um, and, and so, you know, and I love hearing that story because it kind of where we're heading is that what we heard in the last session and QA is that among the greatest needs of the field, they don't lack for vision. They've gone out, they've mapped the water points, they know where their need is, right? They know what the average distance to water is, they know what the turnaround is. Um, what they really need is funding. They have the know-how, they have the expertise, they have the information. What they need is partners like us to come alongside and, and empower them through funding. And so, and then, yeah, and oh, I'm getting text messages, I'm getting all kinds of stuff <laughs> are coming through, okay? Um, so 
can you can you tell us a little bit of, a bit more about how our local field staff also makes those decisions, right? Like as they look at the the, the plan that they've given to you all that you've rolled up into this bigger plan, what does a day in their life kind of look like as they start to roll out these sorts of ideas? Like over the next five years in a relatively new country, what sorts of things might they be working on to start? Yeah, so, um, I mean, first of all, they're building relationships. I think, mm. you know, that's, that's one of the, the foundational elements having being talking to the right people talking to the right uh, the ministry of, of health or ministry of water uh, or infrastructure different things like that but even at a national level but even at like sub-district government level but they're working with community leaders they're working with faith-based leaders these are the types of leaders that can also drive uh, changes in communities that are that are often you know extremely critical um so what are they doing then with those relationships they're they're forming plans so we like to look at wash so you can imagine like if you're just one household and you have a toilet or you have water um you're, there's actually your life is is less impacted than if everybody around you also had those same opportunities um right so if you can uh, create a, a an entire community that has access to water or access to clean sanitation it's actually more impactful than to to an individual than if just that individual has mm -hmm. so we expand upon that even more and we look at wash at what we call district level type of approach so so yes now if a whole community a whole village has clean water and sanitation that's great but they also need the resources and the opportunities that you know can be created across the district. So really our teams then are building plans starting at the local level but forming these district level plans. And so they're they're actually putting plans in place with the stakeholders across that district, right? And so um, we call them universal coverage plans. Mm -hmm. How does that plan in that district create universal coverage of, of water and sanitation in that area? So uh, our teams on a daily basis then are putting those plans in place with government and local stakeholders and then they're determining how do we execute against these plans and these plans are not just okay well we need this many water points that's part of it but it's also you know how how are we going to finance the operation and maintenance of these systems in years to come how are we um, going to provide uh, a growing market of sanitation resources so that people can improve um, their latrines and their toilets, you know, from going from something that might be made out of local materials to now something that might be made out of, of, of bricks and have a door on it and, and things like that. So we're creating market materials. And then beyond that, we're creating economic opportunities. How do we actually use water utilities and, and sanitation utilities to actually then drive economic impact. So on a day-to-day -day basis, it's it's putting plan, it's building relationships, developing plans, and, and executing then against those plans. Wow. Are your minds being blown <laughs> right now because of our amazing field staff? I mean, and that's a that's a key distinctive. I mean, it's 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 one of the things that allows us to bring um, kind of leads us into goal number three, this this interaction between the human and the digital space. And so some of the things that we were, I mean, some of you are already asking like, those flyovers were absolutely <laughs> insane. They're super cool, right? Um, and so like, I wanna, I wanna learn a little bit more about how that technology became available. And, and like, I mean, we probably had to find people that could leverage that technology in ways that were useful yeah. for our business model and for our business objectives and strategy. So like who's on your team that helps you do yeah. that kind of thing? Was it, you know, what did they have to learn for you to be able to stand on stage and blow our minds with this new tech? So, yeah, I mean, I, I have an amazing team of people much smarter than myself, um, <laughs> honestly. So um, we'll I, bring them I, next year. I know. We'll bring them I, next year. Yeah. <laughs> um, I keep them, I keep them happy. Um, is mostly my job, you know, give them some direction and, and allow them kind of do their amazing, amazing work. So yeah, we've, we've put, you know, we've brought more technically focused staff on our team, not just in water and sanitation, but 
business analysts, um, people as well that are, are you know, skilled in um, uh, GIS type of technology. What's, in, what's GIS stand for? Uh, geographical information systems. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, GIS technology and mapping and, and yeah, and kind of know how to, so really what it is, it's an overlapping of data sets. So you've got to go out and collect the data sets, which, um, you know, I said earlier, previously, we're not always publicly accessible, but through um, different organizations, they've been pushing to create, to create open access to these different data sets. So these data sets come from, uh, there's a group out of Columbia University that does a lot of population density type of work. Uh, or just population general and work in general because population is actually a very complicated, uh, very challenging subject um, when we're talking about like global populations and locating populations. Um, Facebook data for good. Um, so whatever your opinions are on Facebook, they, they actually have an arm of their organization that is called data for good uh, that also looks to um, uh, utilize work from Columbia University and and kind of uh, inner, uh, create, puts those population sets into kind of mapping data sets as well. So again, we're overlapping data sets and then you have open street maps. So you have Google, uh, earth, but then you have an organization called open street maps, um, that are also out there going around and, and, and using satellite imagery, but as well as, as people on the ground and creating data sets there. So we're, we have people that are overlaying those data sets as well as then our field staff that are then also collecting information on the, mm -hmm. the water and sanitation um, uh, uh, characteristics uh, of wash in those areas and we're overlaying that information. So uh, really it's just a lot of stacked up data sets yeah. um, that yeah. it, it, from different places that we're, we're, we're able to bring together. And we use things like ArcGIS, mm -hmm. um, Esri mm -hmm. uh, is the, the organization. Esri has a platform called ArcGIS but also Google has a number of platforms that allow us to kind of bring those different data set layers together. Yeah. And I mean, and then the, the, the human powered portion of it is that now you have folks that are, that are in the country and they're able to go in and, and look at these bodies of water and to assess their, their cleanliness or not the distance from the, the home where we think it is kind of, geographically up here, literally in the cloud, right? Technology yeah. tells us where these folks are, yeah. but then they can go out and actually verify right. the information. And so, you know, it's, I've seen way too many like, um, uh, like war movies, like on the ground recognizance on the ground information is far more valuable than anything you can get secondhand. Yeah. And so having that staff on hand to be able to go out and measure the distance, the walk, the quality of that water, the quality of the water that is coming to their home is it's next level, right? And so that's kind of the, the, that human powered part of it is, is the one thing I wanted to, to point out. Um, well, it's, and, 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 and then it's use of that data yes. and use of that information because yeah. having it, okay, that's, that's one step, yeah, but so then what? using it is yeah. actually maybe even somewhat of the harder step because now it's like, Hey, we have this information, how are we actually going to use it mm. to better our programming and create more impact? Yeah. And that's where absolutely having staff on the ground is critical. Like I could look at the data all day long, but it's hard <laughs> for me, you know, to really um, then be able to utilize it for decision-making at the, the ground level. Yeah. Yeah. We got, we got money <laughs> ball for clean water, money ball for clean water using data analytics to get maximum efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can use that. Um, you might have to talk to Brad Pitt, maybe. <laughs> Let's get Brad Pitt to do a water commercial. It's like Moneyball for, yeah, for water. Um, but we would love to hear from you all. I can really geek out on this stuff. It it fuels my my passion, my fire for clean water work. But um, what do you all want to know? Like, Javi, one question that we got earlier um, is how the child sponsorship dollars yeah. we have our child ambassadors here and i don't know if you know this but they're amazing people um and so our child ambassadors are here as well so how do the child ambassador dollars and that child those child sponsorship dollars work with the one-time mm -hmm. giving and the money that team world vision raises yeah so sponsorship so 
Okay, so some of the distinctions here each have a huge layer of flexibility around them, but they're each designated for different things, right? So sponsorship funding is like is foundational funding for an area program, right? So mm -hmm. it's that it's that consistent, um, uh, continuous layer of funding that an area program has to work with to meet the needs of uh, the households, the children that are in that area program environment, right? Mm -hmm. So it's flexible in how it's used, but it's designated in that environment. Mm -hmm. Where, so our WASH funding obviously is designated WASH, but flexible really anywhere beyond, you know, where and how we can use that. So we, we utilize both interchangeably. So the, the area program, they have funding, they can choose to allocate, allocate that funding towards needs for WASH or needs for education or needs for health. Um, but oftentimes, like with WASH, we talked about some of the, the intensive um, investment that's needed for the infrastructure parts of it. It's not just mm -hmm. trainings uh, all the time, right? It's not just advocacy that are more lower levels of investment dollars, but we're talking infrastructure, you know, and, and that's high investment. And so ways that we, and, and it requires a higher level of technical expertise, engineers, hydrogeologists, um, you know, people that, that know their stuff and in, in, in how to do this. And so um, by having WASH funding and then a WASH program, we provide that capacity to the area programs who may not be able to hire their own engineer or their own hydrogeologist, right? So it's provide now at a, at a national office level to be shared you know, for, to, to meet those needs. Um, mm -hmm. But we also provide them confidence then by coming in with additional funding to say, hey, we know it may be seen as somewhat, we know the needs are there for WASH, you know the needs are there for WASH, but you may be a slightly hesitant to invest in that because of the high infrastructure costs of it. But we're gonna come in also now with WASH funding and be able to meet those needs as well. So now we're pooling and tying those funds together. So both are drastic, they're hugely needed. And when we look at all the funds that were invested in WASH um, over this past year, the largest, um, the largest uh, um, uh, piece of that pie actually was from sponsorship. Um, so I think it was like 32% of funds invested in WASH were, were actually sponsorship given and then chosen by those area programs to be invested in WASH. Yeah. You said 32%, 37, 38%. Yeah. So yeah. at least a third of the funding that was coming in through sponsorship dollars was being- Over a third. Yeah. Over, over a third was being uh, classified for water sanitation and hygiene. Um, it sounds like we got lots of super technical people doing some amazing work. Makes me wish I was a nerd and smart, would totally work for World Vision. Well, Matt, that's the cool thing, man. Like we each, have our role to play. I'm not cool. I'm not smart, but I can put one foot in front of the other and fundraise to equip the saints for the work that they're doing that are super cool and super smart, like Jordan and his team. Um, is yes, there any way we, we can, can verify yes, we that can, number? I, I yes. will verify it right now. So I actually have it in front of me. I he just pulled, pulled it out. out his, okay. this from his backpack. So Yo, he is it's, ready it's, for you. Okay, so the actual number is 34%. So over a third um, of funds invested in WASH came from sponsorship allocation. Yeah, and that okay. was in 20... That was in 2021. Okay. And then we had 27% uh, coming from uh, grants. Um, so that's bilateral, multilateral organization. So like US government type of grants or like UNICEF or mm -hmm. other UN types of mm -hmm. entities type of grants. We had 19% that came from restricted private funding so this is corporations yeah. foundations individuals um individuals that gave restrictedly so yeah. like i i'm going to give you a million dollars but i want it to go to these particular deliverables yeah um type of thing and then 20 percent, which is what we want to see we have to, because 20 percent is the base funding yeah. so with 20 percent of all funds invested in wash that came from the most unrestricted flexible um uh, 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 channels, yeah. such as this team world. Issue. Yeah, and so 50% of that 20% of that base funding is, is team, team world vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely 
Huge. So there's some numbers. I don't know if you caught all that, but uh, We're dropping there. them in the, it's chat. in the chat. Uh, it, yeah, there we go. Drop but that is uh, sorry, that and is that's verified. 50% of that. 10% of the total. 10% yeah. of the. Yeah, of the 100%. Of the 100%. Yeah. 10% of the 100%. Yeah. And so, but I'd rather I'd have your 10% any day if I had to choose between that and like a a, a government grant. Um, funded uh, funding that come in i i choose team world vision every day yeah and so you know the reality is that we need if we have you know just to kind of come back to like brass tacks if we have more people doing more sponsorships more runners raising more money we can actually increase that 10 percent that we're giving to that total global strategy to maybe 12 14 15 20% like how much of a gift well you can but I will say this every dollar you give we ensure that we actually bring oh. in four additional dollars of those leverage funding so you can always bring in more but that will just allow us to bring in even more so yeah, yeah. we don't actually want to see that 20% grow as part of the total amount okay. because we want to ensure that we're actually bringing in four additional dollars for every dollar that like team world vision is bringing in. that's awesome yeah so we'll just keep yeah. fundraising and then they'll just keep getting more yeah so for every dollar we give maximizing times four yeah that's yeah. right sean pierce leverage it exactly. leverage it leverage it yeah and i just get stoked about raising the number because four times whatever number we're raising is always more <laughs> <laughs> um so that's super cool. What what other questions do you have? We, we know there's a lot of excitement. We've got 10 minutes left together. Yeah. What do you want to know? We got oh, the really? expert here. We've been rolling, man. Oh. And the 6K money go to the ADPs or Team World Vision category. So um, that's a global wash initiative. And so global 6K goes towards our, yeah. it's globally, it's, it's, it's flexible, just as flexible as team world vision it, it to me to me uh, when i say 10 percent, it is global 6k as well as endurance yep. team world vision yep. access to those fly-through maps yes <laughs> you we will get you access everybody's been asking for access <laughs> the president of our organization has been asking for access so we'll 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 make sure everybody has access um it'll we'll we'll, we'll obviously get it so that it's you know shared out through um through the, the channels of communication that you all have, but uh, it'll ultimately probably be a link in our website that yeah. we'll, we'll have. Yeah, and just to kind of reiterate, you know, we talk a lot about story at Team World Vision. We talk a lot about story just as child ambassadors and as invitational folks. And so combining that left and right brain is so important. It's, it's, it is cool to show them a cool flyover map, but what does it mean to that individual woman or girl who's taking that walk to water, right? Um, we need to be able to story wrap some of those data points and to make it real for folks because these are real people living in the real world. So any countries getting closer to having 100% clean water, how will the next country be targeted? I mean, yeah, let's let's talk through that, uh, Jordan. Yeah, so, so we have, um, so part of, so we have, so we have 41 countries that are originally part of the business plan. We added Central African Republic. We have, we have 42 countries now. Um, you know, it, 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 I think Javi, you called out at the beginning, like one of the biggest needs or what, yeah, one of the biggest needs in order to meet the, the needs for water is, is the financing part of it. So, I mean, if we had enough funds, we could be out there reaching every country with, with access to clean, you know, universal coverage, access to clean water. Um, so it's, it, it definitely, a lot of it comes down to, to funding and financing and figuring out. And to be how clear, to, the funds is like a billion dollars. I mean, yes, more, <laughs> yeah, more, yeah. yeah. Um, and we know we we can't do all of it ourselves, right? But if we can, that's why one of the goals of the business plan, if you look through it, one of our goals is actually to use our plan, our billion-dollar investment into Wash to mobilize even additional resources. So mm -hmm. those are funds that aren't even coming through World Vision, but we're creating MOUs with governments so that governments are also co-investing. Um, into areas as well as we are, or, you know, other types of investment, actual investment, like social impact bond mm. investment as well, um, are, are going into to the sector. So um, back to the question. So yeah, are we finishing anywhere? So we, we have created um, campaigns around particular countries 
um, those campaigns, again, are getting everybody where World Vision's working in those areas, right? So, so to a basic level of access to water. So that's clean water within a 30 minute round trip from their house. And we are maybe a year away from being able to do that in Rwanda. Um, so that's a huge achievement right there. Um, the other countries that we're focusing on are Zambia and Honduras. And we've just started out, give us four or five uh, uh, years in those countries and we'll be achieving the same type of thing. But let's also remember, we want to go not just bad to good, but we want to go good to better, better to best. And so while our investments may, um, may, may decrease in those areas because a certain level of need is already met, we still want to be finding ways and opportunities to get to better and best. Yeah. And, and while maybe a majority of that may focus on areas of higher need, again, we're still not satisfied with just yeah. going from, from bad to good. So um, even outside of those three countries I mentioned, so Rwanda, Zambia, Honduras, again, we have 42 countries in the business plan, and they all have priority districts that they're working in to achieve this uh, uh, universal coverage uh, of water as well in the next few years. We've actually identified 150 of those across the 42 countries that will be uh, looking to prioritize. Yeah. And when you say, you know, good to better, better to best, give us an example of that, you know, for, for water, mm -hmm. for sanitation and for hygiene. Yeah. What does that actually mean? So for water, um, so for water going from, from bad to good is you're going from a stream, a lake, a pond, uh, a, a hand dug uh, hole in the ground where you're accessing unclean water to a clean water source that is within a 30 minute round trip of your house. Mm. That for us is bad to good. We don't want to commit to anything below a clean, safe water source within 30 minutes of their house. Mm -hmm. If we can't hit that, it's not, we've not met that goal yet. Going from good to better is bringing that water through pipe network as close to their home as possible, mm. okay? that's going from, from, from good to better. So we're bringing a higher volume of water closer to people's houses so that it's more accessible for them. Going from better to best is actually getting water in the house, you know, chlorinated, treatable water um, that is, uh, you know, readily available at any moment that, that somebody wants to access water, right? Like you and I have, I can go and I know 99.99999% of the time, except when that, you know, major pipe burst, you know, <laughs> down the road or something. I know most of the time I go to my water tap and turn it on, I'm accessing clean water, right? That's the best. And that's what we want to, you know, I mean, ultimately get to, but, but for us, it's, it's bad to good is, is, is the big hurdle. Um, good to better is something we can strive for. And ultimately, you know, down the road, we want everybody to have best access, yeah. equitable access to the, the best type of, of water. Sanitation. So we're talking about sanitation, right? So we're talking about open defecation to confined defecation, mm -hmm. right? So taking a exposed uh, source and moving it to now a confined source, that's bad to good. When we go from good to better, now we're creating a more, um, uh, that we're creating a safer, uh, a safer environment of, of that sanitation. So you can have what's basically, we call them local latrines, right? Where it's just people using kind of natural resources around them to kind of build that barrier, dig that hole, remove that waste. Going from there though, to a more, let's call it like a commercial type of latrine where they're able to go and buy um, like a, a slab floor, um, you know, uh, a better quality structure around them, a better quality roofing over them, that's going from good to better. And then best is really actually being able to treat that waste. Mm. So you're confining it, but now actually able to remove it and treat it and re-enter it into the environment. Yeah, that's so, and so that's what we're talking about, y'all. Like, we're not just talking about dropping a water point in the middle of nowhere and ensuring access for folks. We're talking about putting taps in people's houses like that's where we're going right and so you know as a, as a, as a father of a daughter uh i'm glad that she gets to walk down the hallway into a bathroom 
where she can sit down and wash her hands and then drink from the faucet if she wants to. Yeah. Why would we not want that for every single one of our kids that we serve around the world? So because of you, that's what we get to do. Man, what incredible information for us to just sit and try to comprehend, wrap our minds around, and then share with friends and family. Thank you for all you're doing in crushing these miles day after day, week after week, so kids and communities can have sustainable, clean water. God is truly so good and doing big things through you. So we hope that this episode with all the nutrition information and the conversation with Jordan has been equipping to you and really propels you forward in your training. Keep up the great work because I cannot wait to see all the ways in which God shows up for you and your team this season. Next month, we are going to shift gears and introduce or actually reintroduce a longtime leader and friend of Team Vision, Wampa Martinez. He sits down with me and shares what God has been doing through our Invitationals teams this last few months, and he's actually looking ahead for years to come. So go out there, hydrate, raise those funds for the kids, and have a great time doing it, friends. And of course, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share these episodes with your teammates. Remember, we go farther together. So in these miles, in your invitations, and just in your day-to-day life, find a friend, share these miles together, and know that you are not alone. We'll see you next time, Beyond the Walls. Thank you.